All right. Can you guys hear me okay? Is this audio good? Yep. Man, I miss seeing you guys. Started crying while we were praying. Sorry. But I really miss seeing you guys. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> it's your fault, Junior. When I heard you on the phone, it made me start crying. Your fault, Junior. Ooh, okay, sorry, guys. <clears throat> I just miss seeing you guys. I miss seeing little Luke and Junior and talking at the lunch table and fellowshipping together. Pray all this will be over soon. Well, today's Palm Sunday. Uh, Easter is coming, and I look forward to seeing you guys again on the Zoom next week to celebrate Easter together. Looking forward to that. Uh, today we're going to be back in the book of Galatians, uh, chapter 2. <clears throat> and we're going to see here in Galatians chapter 2, the true gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And we're going to see that uh, defended. We learned so far, way back, if you can remember back that far, <laughs> when Pastor Jared opened the book for us, you know, that there was a problem in the churches of Galatia. And the problem was really one of identity. <clears throat> and the issue of circumcision was really at the heart of it all. You see, there are both Jews and Gentiles in the churches there. There were Jewish believers teaching that in order to be truly in God's family, you must believe in Christ and then be circumcised and keep the Jewish law. <clears throat> and this would confirm your identity as a true child of Abraham. Now, of course, we hear that today and we think that's foolish and we know that circumcision isn't necessary for salvation but it was a real big deal and a big issue in the early churches real big deal and you know we tend to do this today not with the issue of circumcision but we're we can be guilty of this today in the church as well if we're not careful we do it in different ways though will say, yes, to be a true Christian, you must believe in Jesus and go to church, maybe. Serve and be involved in church activities. Give to the church. Wear appropriate clothes. Consume appropriate media. Talk a certain way. Act a certain way. Maybe even educate your children in a certain way. And on and on the list goes. You know, we, we are prone to add to the gospel if we're not careful. In our text today, we're going to see the true gospel defended, and we're going to be encouraged to live by our faith in Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. And we're going to be mostly in Ephesians, or in Galatians 2, but we need to back up to chapter 1, verse 11, to see this all in its context. So I want to go uh, Galatians 1.11, really through the end of chapter 2, to see this whole unit in its context. And so there'll be a good amount of text, but I think it's important for us to read through it together. 
Look at uh, Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. This is the Apostle Paul writing here and says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. I'm going to emphasize that. It's one of the key points of this whole passage. It is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I've persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, in what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it and said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. So let's pause there for just a moment. And we see in verse 11 that the gospel message of salvation by believing in the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins is not man's gospel. It was not devised by any knowledge or wisdom according to any man. I mean, who would make that up? Think about it. It's foolishness to people. It seems crazy, right? Who would make that up? No man made that up. And that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to emphasize to us today. No man made that up. It was given to him by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. That's and you right. can read about that in the book of Acts chapter 9. I encourage you to go do that as a family. There'll be some cross-references here that I point us to, and you can follow up by reading through those as a family. It was given to Paul directly from Jesus, Acts chapter 9. In fact, and Paul tells us here, he used to persecute the church. He was zealous for keeping the laws of Judaism and excelling above others in his practice of them. Then, on that road to Damascus, he received the gospel directly from Jesus. And then he tells us he didn't speak to anyone about, in the church about it. Instead, he went to Arabia and then came back to Damascus and then he immediately started preaching in the synagogues, proclaiming Jesus as the Son of God. You'll see that in Acts chapter 9, verse 20. Then he preached for three years, he says, before he went to Jerusalem and spoke to Peter and James, who were the early leaders of the church. Then we pick up there at chapter 2. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, 
though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I had proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running, that I was not running or had run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, also worked through me for mine to the Gentiles. When James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. And so let's pause there for a moment and talk about this passage. In these verses, verses 1 through 10, we can see there is one gospel for all. One gospel for all, Jews and Gentiles. There's not two gospels. Not two gospels. Not one for the Jews and one for the Gentiles. One gospel for all. And that faith plus circumcision does not equal salvation. That is a false gospel. In Acts chapter 15 is a parallel passage here. What he's referring to is what's known as the Jerusalem Council. There was an argument here whether or not Gentile believers must be circumcised and keep the Jewish law in order to be saved. And it was hotly debated. <clears throat> the Jews in the church believed that Jesus plus <laughs> law keeping equaled salvation. And that's the formula they had in their minds. Jesus plus keeping the law is what you had to do to be saved. Faith was not enough. Faith plus works was required. And there's a great debate about it in Acts chapter 15. And you can read about that. I encourage you to read about it as a family. I'm not going to go there for the sake of time today. But you can see it was hotly debated. This was not some simple matter that was easily brushed off. There was much debate among the elders of the church and the leaders of the church at that, at that council. And after the discussions had been had, the apostle Peter stands up and gives this conclusion. Acts chapter 15, verse 6. He says this, The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, so you can tell there's a lot of discussion here, this wasn't just one person's opinion, and it was an easy discussion. There was much debate about this. Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them 
by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. So Peter stands up and he's saying, look, no one can bear the yoke of the law. We can't even do it. So why? Why are you trying to place that burden on them? Not even the Jewish Christians can keep that and bear that and live according to that and be perfected by that. And so Peter once again confirms that salvation is by the grace of God through faith in Christ alone. And they all agree with that. Peter, James, all the church in Jerusalem, they agree. And then they send forth Paul and Barnabas with a proclamation to the churches. And so that's kind of the background and setup for what we're about to see. Now, there's going to be a confrontation here with Peter over this issue, surprisingly enough. But the main point of that whole setup there is that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for everyone. Jew, Gentile. And when we say Gentiles, just to clarify, it's anyone who's not Jewish. <laughs> it's all the nations. It's you and me. If we're not Jewish, we're Gentiles. So this applies directly to us. Now look at verse 11, Galatians 2, 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, so Cephas is Peter. When he came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. And so now there's a confrontation here between Paul and Peter because he stood condemned. But before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So we'll pause there for just a minute. So now we got a conflict here. we got a confrontation. Paul is holding Peter accountable and calling him out. And you can imagine the scene could be one like this. You know, we're at our church fellowship meal and everybody's there together, and Peter and the others would always fellowship and eat with the Gentile believers at the meals. Then some Jewish Christians come to town, supposedly being from James. Hold on, I got two people that left the meeting, need to come back in. Here we go. So some Jewish Christians come to town, supposedly being from James, or associated with James. And they come and visit, Peter starts hanging around with them, and they're probably talking, you know. They still haven't gotten full of this, you know, that some, some have even called them false brethren. You know, they're, they're not really true believers. They're just there to cause trouble. And so Peter's been associating with them, and now instead of eating with the Gentiles like he used to, he's avoiding them. He used to grab his lunch and sit at the table with them and talk and fellowship, and everybody was great. But now that these Jewish believers are in town 
he's just walking right on by the lunch table and not associating with them anymore. And why not? Because he's afraid of what the Jewish believers are going to think about him. He's afraid what they'll think about him for hanging out with these unclean Gentiles. You can imagine there's like whispering going on maybe. Like, oh, can you believe Peter would associate with them? Can you believe he's having a barbecue sandwich over there with those guys? Can you believe that? That's unclean. How could he defile himself that way? That's just speculation, but it's probably a little bit of what they were saying. And so he walks on by and leadership yeah, he's leading by example, right? So people are following his lead. So it's not just Peter that was caught up in this. Others were as well. And the, the text says, even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So you can imagine Paul, you know, Barnabas was Paul's traveling buddy. <laughs> so he's really upset about this. Like, how can you guys be doing this? And how can you all be following this? It's terrible. Everyone was following in on it. <clears throat> so now you've got factions being created within the church, these groups, Gentile believers, Jewish believers, even calls them of the, the, the circumcision party. So it's almost like a political party type of thing where, okay, these are the, the Jews who practice the law. They're also believers, but they're set apart. There's disunity in the church. That's really the, the bottom line here. What used to be unified and beautiful, the body of Christ, is now divided. And it's very disturbing because Peter, the one who stood up in the council and made such a beautiful declaration, is leading all of this, whether he realized it or not. And so I'm sure many were hurt, probably many were discouraged. Can you imagine the Gentile believers maybe even doubting their salvation? wow, you know, we haven't uh, followed in circumcision, so are we okay with God? You know, we're not like those Jewish people. Um, we don't keep all the, the laws and the feasts and the festivals and, and the Sabbaths and those things either. Are, are we okay with God? You can imagine they might start wondering that, right? They're not wanting to fellowship with us anymore. You know, is something wrong with us? Do we need to be circumcised and keep the law to be saved and have fellowship? And Paul's resounding, clear, emphatic answer is no. You don't need to do all that. It's terrible to think that way. And so he holds Peter accountable for his hypocrisy. He uses the word hypocrisy. It's like wearing a mask. That's where the word comes from in the Greek. It's like wearing a mask. So you're acting one way, but you believe another way. And that's what Peter was doing here. He was leading people in hypocrisy, knowing in his heart of hearts that you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, yet acting in a different way that keeping the law earns you favor with, with the Lord. And that's just not true. And so, you know, it's easy to, to read this and point fingers at Peter and Barnabas and the others. But brothers and sisters, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, we, we do this too, and we need to be careful not to do this. 
you know, we proclaim faith in Christ for salvation and forgiveness of sins, but then we separate ourselves from other believers because they're different than us. Maybe they go to a different church or worship in a way that we don't understand. Maybe they don't meet our standard of what we think is proper to wear or to watch at the movies or listen on their iPods. Maybe they choose to educate their children in a way differently than we do. And so we separate ourselves and pride can easily well up in our hearts thinking that we're better than them and we begin judging them because they don't live our convictions. And so we've got to be careful with this too. Very careful with it. It's wrong for us to judge others and lay on them burdens to comply with our own convictions and preferences to earn our love and fellowship. So let's be very careful about that. Look at verse 15. He goes on, he says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Mark that in your Bible, underline it. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So we'll wrap up with this section here. We can see in verse 16, it says, We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. We need to keep preaching ourselves that message every single day, because we are so prone to add to the gospel. We are so prone to be prideful and try to build ourselves up through religious things that we might do. But none of these things justify us before God. In this context, what this verse really means is, yes, you're Jewish, but as a Christian Jew, you, not ought, to be, you ought not to be separating yourself from other people. We're all members of God's family now through faith in Christ. And we all have the right to share table fellowship. No one should be excluded just because they don't keep your custom. So let's never add anything to the gospel message, brothers and sisters. And I'll preach it again. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. None of us are better than others 
because of any religious acts that we do or practice. Look at verse 20. This is one that to memorize and underline and star and everything else. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And, and this is really the point of it all. When we believe in Jesus for salvation, we spiritually participate with the Lord in his crucifixion and his victory over sin and death. Our old self dies. It's been crucified with Christ. And Christ now lives in our new self. We are no longer slaves to sin, but instead we are his children. You can read about this in Romans chapter 6. Write that cross-reference there in your Bible, Romans chapter 6. We have died to that old self. And we live a new life by faith in Christ. His spirit now dwells within us. That old self is died. And then he goes on and he finishes the chapter. He says, like, if we add anything to the gospel, anything at all, if we add anything to the gospel, faith plus anything, then Christ died for no purpose. And our Lord Jesus would not die for no purpose. He died to save us from our sins through faith in him. And so, brothers and sisters, let us live by faith in these days. I think this is a perfect passage for the situation that we're in. You know, as, as these events in life hit us and there's, there's threat of, you know, financial insecurity, there's threat of our health, you know, being sick, there's threat of losing basically all these things that we build up around us, you know, even being together, relationships, all these things we build up around us to, to give us strength, all those things can be stripped away in a moment. And Christ is enough. Christ is all we need. So let's live by faith in these days. And let's be sharing the soul-saving, life-giving message of the gospel with others in this time of great unknown and suffering. We have a true message of hope. We have a true message that can bring peace and comfort to a heart that no bank account or stock portfolio or clean bill of health can bring. The gospel is what the world needs now more than anything else. We need the gospel more than we need the government check, more than we need even meeting together, more than anything. Nothing is more important in our lives than our faith in Christ. And it's times like these that we're reminded of just how fragile our lives and our world really are. Christ is enough. And to live is Christ and to die is gain. Amen. So just remember, brothers and sisters, we're, this world is not our ultimate home. We're just pilgrims passing through. And let's hold fast to Jesus in these times. And let's share the good news of salvation through faith in him in these moments. We're going to have many opportunities to share the hope that we have in our souls, the living hope in Jesus. And let's live our lives by faith in him 
who loved us and gave himself for us. Amen. 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 Thank you, Pastor Ryan. We appreciate it. And um, I just reiterate, um, uh, maybe use this time as a, as a time of, if you have downtime, some of us do, some of us don't, uh, but it's a time to, to get into the word and to, uh, to really uh, spend some time with the Lord and, and, um, and his, um, and the Bible. So I, uh, once again, also, if, um, if anyone has,